It's Wednesday, May 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One and Stock Advisor, all the way from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Alex Scherer. Good to have you in house, my friend. So happy to be here. May the fourth be with you, and may the fourth be with you. We'll get to Star Wars at some point because we have to. Come on, if I mean, <laughs> I know there's a lot of Star Wars stuff out there, and certainly in the last year or so. But this is May fourth, so it's it's pretty much everywhere. But earnings palooza rolls on, so we'll we'll look at the latest quarter from Priceline. We'll dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with Zillow, though. I feel like this episode, maybe the subtitle for this episode is uh, "It's all about expectations" mm-hmm. or "The future is now." Because Zillow's quarter, the first quarter loss was b- bigger than expected. Right. That's not good. Right. And yet the stock up double digits. Yep. Because they they're pretty optimistic about the rest of 2016. Yeah, they're really. I mean, it was a very strong sales growth quarter. So that's really what's got the stock moving today, and and not just uh, you know revenues as a general concept, but really why they're getting the kind of sales growth that they are getting, um, and accelerate at an accelerating rate. And that's really because they have. There's this sort of there's this thesis that's out there that um, uh, Zillow's total addressable market is um, a little more mature than um, might otherwise you might otherwise think for a very high multiple high growth uh, kind of company, uh, but and and because of the Trulia acquisition last year that that thesis got a you know a little bit of promotion that maybe they just needed to go out and you know buy buy market share because um, they weren't. Going to be able to generate it organically, um, but really, what's going on with the sales growth this uh, this quarter and really last quarter as well is that they're proving that they're really building uh, their own uh, expanding industry wide expanding total addressable market, uh, and and the way that they're doing it is by focusing not uh, on just you know trying to get as many. Uh, real estate agents uh, online or spending as possible, but really focusing in on those highest, highest producers in the entire industry, uh, and and sort of promoting them uh, and promoting their success. And it's really kind of a, a nice little flywheel that uh, is is uh, moving along because those highest producing real estate agents ha- are the ones that have the um, highest uh, piece of the business in terms of the the breaks that they get with the their their realtor brand. Maybe they get seventy five percent of every deal. Instead of fifty percent of every deal for the lower producing agents, and that means that they've got a bigger advertising budget. They can spend that budget on, uh, you know, at Zillow, uh, and that market expands as those premier agents uh, are more and more successful to the detriment of the lower producing agents. And so the total agent counts are are pretty modest. They're actually they've been going down for a number of quarters and went down again this quarter. Uh, but in that sort of premier agent uh, channel, those highest producing, highest commission paying. Uh, agents uh, that are on the Zillow properties, they are expanding at huge rates, something like 75% this quarter for agents that spend more than $5,000 on Zillow's properties. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, the total uh, revenue that Zillow is getting for from each of those agents is expanding as well. So, that you, the, the term you would use there is they've got an increased wallet share of those highest producing agents. And so, that's really a, um, you know, a, a dynamic that, that you can see why that would continue and that success kind of begets Success uh, and so that that total addressable market for Zillow really seems to be expanding, and I think that's what's got the uh, stock moving today. Is that thesis is really playing out? You know this company better than I do. Hmm. By my observation, it seems like the Trulia acquisition took about as long 
as they originally forecast it would. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean it, it, it because I remember thinking at the time, oh, this should go pretty quickly. And I think the come I think Zillow did a pretty good job of setting expectations of how long the truly acquisition would would take. D- did it in fact play out that way or is that just my perception? No, it went it went fine. You know, it 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 was one of a couple of things that made 2015 very very messy uh, in terms of the the optics, the you know the financial statements uh, for Zillow Group. But the merger was clean. It was it was successful, and and they you know um, they now have you know huge market share in that uh, online uh, in that online segment of the real estate advertising market. Um, but there were there were no troubles there. Um, there there's Unrelated to the Trulia acquisition, you know, lawsuits going on, and that's one of the reasons that the bottom line EPS figure this quarter was, um, you know, a little bit lower, uh, and will be for the, you know, for the remainder of the year because there's a legal budget that they need to pay. But this is this is something that the market is very clearly looking past uh, and saying these are truly one-time expenses that they'll be resolved with no problem. And what we're seeing is that the underlying market, the underlying industry that Zillow can play into, uh, is growing. You know more rapidly than than previously expected, and so, you know, everyone's very happy with the stock today. Is Zillow large enough now that it is it is not heavily reliant on a couple of big U.S. markets? I'm just thinking about how it, over the last six to twelve months we've had conversations in this studio, and I've certainly seen it play out in in other business news outlets. The idea that well, we're not necessarily expecting another 2008, 2009 in terms of the overall housing market, mm-hmm. but you can look at individual markets in the United States and say, we don't have a national housing bubble, but we might have one in San Francisco. Right, yeah. We might have one in individual Seattle, regions. Kind of but it seems like Zillow is diverse I think, enough. Yeah, they, yeah I think they've over, they, they're definitely diverse enough now that 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 wouldn't be they, there wouldn't be you know one uh, regional housing plateau like you know the energy market is so tough and Texas real estate therefore has a big downturn there the, the, that that sort of story doesn't look to me given Zillow's size and given Zillow's momentum like something that would that would really um, you know hinder the investment thesis going forward. It's been a rough couple of weeks for Priceline shareholders in the wake of the news last week about the CEO leaving effective immediately. First quarter profits look pretty good. Hotel room night reservations up 31%. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Guidance for Q2. Yeah, not, Priceline not always good. The Priceline always always sandbags their guidance numbers. Uh, and you know, it was true this quarter. This quarter was no different, uh, and and it seems like the quarter moving forward is no different as well. This current quarter, they had guided to twelve and a half percent sales growth and nine dollars and seventy cents in earnings. They ended up doing seventeen percent or seventeen and a half percent sales growth and ten dollars and fifty cents in earnings. And and this is really typical of these kinds of beats because they set very low expectations. They say that you know uh, our perform our our performance marketing the 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 online advertising that we do has very very high returns. Returns on investment, but we're going to make these certain assumptions that those returns just aren't sustainable throughout the rest of the quarter, and so we'll give very conservative guidance on the kind of profitability that we can have. And then quarter after quarter after quarter, they say, "Well, it turned out that you know we still are performing uh, at, a, at a very high level, and and our ROIs do continue to look great." And so this quarter is no different. Um, 
and yet the stock seems to have these kinds of sell-offs. Uh, and you know, this this quarter in particular, that that level of conservatism seems to me like it's maybe even a little bit more sandbaggy. Is that even a word I'm allowed to use? It Sand, is now a little more sandbaggy than usual. Uh, and I think the. Uh, it's very likely to me that, given Jeff Boyd is now sort of a week back on the job, uh, that he felt no compunction at all to, you know, to to put any kind of aggressive forecasts out there, and so maybe, you know, maybe that's why the sandbagging is is even worse um, this quarter than usual. But uh, you know, the guidance is what the guidance is, and and analysts will set their expectations based on those uh, figures because they just you know they assume management knows best. Which usually they do, and so that's why the stock is uh, selling off today. Jeff Boyd is interim CEO. He's the interim CEO. He was the longtime CEO of the Priceline Group. Um, he he was responsible for about uh, 100 bagger in the stock in his tenure uh, with the company. He was very well compensated for it. He's definitely a three comma guy at this point, and um, he was uh, moved. He moved into the. Uh, chairman role when Darren Houston uh, took over the CEO role. Darren Houston was the CEO of the Booking.com segment of Priceline, which is their biggest moneymaker uh, globally. But with um, with the scandal that unfolded last week, Jeff Boyd very quickly took uh, took the reins. The market didn't seem to have much of a problem with that at all because they have a lot of faith in in Jeff's talents. Um, I'm a little bit more circumspect uh, about that leadership transition, leadership. Uh, especially in an industry as intense as online travel, uh, leadership, you know, makes I I feel like it makes the difference. It's, you, there's really night and day if you look at you know Orbitz and Expedia and Priceline and look at you know ten or fifteen year charts of those three, you can see how much of a difference leadership makes. Uh, so I'm a little bit more circumspect uh, at you know 27 times. Uh, trailing earnings or twenty times forward earnings. It's not a, it's not it's not a stock that I'm aggressively you know adding to even even as it sells off today. Um, I'm you know I'm I'm the sort that would would be a little bit more hesitant and, and waiting to see how the CEO this new CEO search uh, plays out before getting super excited about Priceline. Even though I recognize that it's a you know premier top player in the industry, highest quality player with really an open ended. Uh, growth story um, for online travel as an industry. I was just going to say, even if you allow for the sandbagging, mm-hmm. the stock being down slightly more than 10% so far today tells me that at least part of this is people on Wall Street looking at this company and saying, uh, not only are we not crazy about the guidance, and even if we're going to grant you that you're sandbagging, you don't have a CEO. Right. <laughs> like I'm assuming that at yeah. least part of this is people who are thinking about this the same way you are, which is, well, uh, I'm, I'm I'm going to feel a little bit more confident when I know exactly who is going to be sitting in the corner office. Sure, I mean to the to the extent you believe leadership matters, <laughs> and we clearly do. We do, especially on on you know the the group that I work with uh, on on uh, Stock Advisor newsletter. We, you know we're we're very big proponents that the best leadership in in the world is worth their weight in gold. Um, and that that has been the case for Priceline historically, and I believe that you know will be the case for the best companies moving forward. And so it'll be really important on the on the call. Jeff Boyd said, "Listen, I'm not going to give you any kind of timeline. We're not going to do a super quick search. This is obviously a supremely important decision we need to make, and we'll take all the time that we need to take 
uh, to make it. I don't know if that that uh, would have resulted in in people, you know, being a little more worried on that aspect, or you know, it could just be simply that uh, the guidance was, you know, more conservative than even their conservative uh, past, uh, and that they, you know, talked a little bit more uh, about uh, the kind of increased advertising spending that they're going to have to have, and and people look around this industry and see, you know, something like uh, Marriott and Starwood merger, and and the kind of the loyalty programs that these companies uh, have to try and encourage uh, higher levels of direct booking on the hotel's website rather than Expedia's or Priceline's website. And, and people say, look, you know, maybe the margin profile for a company like Priceline, even though it's best in the industry, uh, doesn't have the same kind of uh, aggressive expansion potential that, that we thought it did yesterday. Don't you think, don't you think Jeff Boyd has to be just a little bit angry about what, be just, uh, about what happened? I imagine he's, I mean, absolutely livid. The guy he picked the, to be CEO. Yeah. Well, he was, you know, and, and he's chairman of the board, and the board of directors made a very, very quick decision, it appears, um, to, you know, as, as soon as uh, this, uh, you know, scandal was um, uh, brought up, uh, that even though it doesn't appear to have had anything to do with the the, the business or the finances, or the finances or anything like that. It was strictly a personal relationship uh, that he was, you know, out the door. And they did the right thing, absolutely. That you know, they are um, they're leaders in the industry. They're the, you know these kind of these kind of business leaders. They they need to show um, you know uh, that they that they stand by the sort of you know ethical. Uh, um, the, the right kind of ethics that that you would want to see in in that kind of leadership and um, and they said you know bye bye you're out today and you don't get your compensation and you don't get the vest this or that and you're out the door and that's it. We don't know who the next CEO is going to be, but w- here's what we do know: that person is going to be vetted. Absolutely, that, that person. <laughs> they it's, are it, gonna... it's, I get the impression that it's not going to be somebody from the online travel agency. Maybe somebody from elsewhere in the in the tech uh, scene. Uh, the only clues that Jeff Boyd gave, uh, you know, most recently was that they want to have uh, somebody with you know a very successful, a very successful, proven track record in an industry uh, in a company in a very large company uh, that has a heavy reliance on uh, technology as you know as they uh, conduct their business. So maybe somebody like. Like Marissa Mayer or Carly Fiorina or something like that, and you can't see my smirking with you know behind the uh, microphone here. It is but. it is just an audio <laughs> podcast. Market Foolery at fool.com is our email address from Keith Lear. What is going on with Ford Motor? They have great sales. The F one fifty is still the number one pickup, etc., and the company still has maintained its course since the previous and highly successful chairman of the board left. Any thoughts? I do have some thoughts. Um, so I can explain the the fears or worries. Um, I, I'm not going to say that these are my fears or worries. I, I I own no position in Ford. I have we have no recommendation in Ford for any of the groups that I work with. But uh, I can explain what's happening here. Um, Let me just say from the standpoint of the stock, stock's down about almost 15 percent over the past year at mm-hmm. a time when the market is basically flat. And it trades to, at like six or six and a half times earnings. To you know, and to Keith's point. If you're just looking at the numbers they're putting out on a monthly basis, it's perfectly understandable to think oh, this is a business that appears to be well run and is executing at a pretty high level. Yeah, both the business and the industry, in fact, has had a very uh, so so Ford ha- had you know at, during the global financial crisis the auto industry had a severe downturn. Uh, Ford also, as an industry participant in a su- supremely cyclical industry, had its had its own downturn, but didn't fare nearly as 
poorly as uh, as, as its major competitors. It certainly didn't go bankrupt. Um, uh, but you know, the fear today is that we've had a multi-year uh, rise out of the ashes for the auto industry, and that uh, today's um, performance potentially is kind of as good as it gets. Uh, you know, we're in a highly cyclical, cyclical uh, industry. We see Ford doing about two bucks a share in earnings. Uh, it doesn't seem likely that margins can expand dramatically from here. This is much going to be either at peak margins right now, or or as much closer to peak margins than. Um, than you know, uh, the, the the margins that they can produce throughout the entire economic cycle, um, and the and even though it's a global firm, uh, Ford, uh, it, it it earns about ninety percent of its pre-tax earnings in the North American market. So to the extent that we are uh, closer to peak volumes and certainly peak margins uh, than um, any other scenario. Uh, the, the, the future, you know, the, the multiple will come down dramatically for these kinds of cyclical firms. You see the same thing in the uh, energy industry, that, you know, uh, as performance um, uh, peaks out, you'll see the multiple compress dramatically. And so you see Ford at something like six times earnings, you think, well, they're, they're, they're firing on all cylinders. That makes no sense at all. But if it's six times this current earnings and the true margin performance ability of Ford is not 9.5% in the U.S., which is what they're doing right now, but is closer to 5 or 4% in the U.S. through through the cycle, it's 95 at the top and zero at the bottom, uh, then that multiple compression is uh, really justified. And so uh, that's kind of that's the fear that's out there right now is that um, uh, you know volumes uh, maybe volumes will continue to grow, but that the credit markets are are very loose, especially in auto finance. Actually, I'm getting a, a new car in a couple of weeks, so I was looking at Ford F one hundred and fifty. Not no. a Ford F one hundred and fifty, though. No, my 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 car will have a little bit better mileage than that. Um, but uh, but I was looking at, and it's not even just the captive finance uh, companies. It's it's also um, you know the local credit unions. I was looking. I can get like a one point one percent rate for at one hundred and twenty percent of the value of the car. Uh, if I, you know taking out a loan if, if I wanted to do that. So credit markets are loose. That that allows people to get the upgraded leather or the upgraded um, uh, you know uh, sound systems stuff like that. And that is very high margin kind of product for auto uh, makers. And to the extent that it's not getting any better and likely gets worse, uh, you'll see margins come down and you see you'll see volumes top out. You and I have children. We Not do. together with other people. We do indeed. Um, so I don't think when I hear about like high end leather, just all, it's like no, no. Well, it wipes off a little bit easily too. Then the cloth, like now I got right? kids. I'm not. I'm no. not getting the high end. You leather. definitely don't want like the perforated leather with the cooling coming out of the back of the seats because you just get all sorts of goop in those uh, perforated. Yeah. Holes. Um, uh, how uh, how are you and or your your kids celebrating Star Wars Day? Uh, how are we celebrating? I'm, I'm celebrating it by being in the office right. and putting corny jokes on the dad jokes board on the, uh, on the internal on the internal uh, communication system, the Slack system. Will there exactly. be a viewing? I know it's a school night, but will there be a viewing tonight? <clears throat> no, very unlikely. Um, my my eldest daughter has swimming tonight, and so uh, the boys will be dragged along uh, for that. And anyway, we don't do we do pizza night on Friday, so we'll probably do the Force Awakens again on Friday. Delayed, yeah, delayed, uh, delayed gratification. But um, until they are able to get their um, uh, college degrees and, and make their own uh, decisions for that sort of thing, <laughs> that we're going to stick to. Speaking of college degrees, what degree does a Wookie get, Chris? Do tell. Well, it's obvious a Chewbacca laureate. I'll be here all day. You're not getting that on Bloomberg. <laughs> 
I don't care what they're doing at Bloomberg. You're not getting that on their podcast. Alex Scherer, thanks for being here, man. Absolutely, my pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.